The reading today is from Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem, and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them bought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 410. Other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and of silver. Sheshbazar bought all these along when the exiles came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you've got a Bible, do keep it open. And we're actually going to be looking at Ezra 1 and 2 this morning. So why don't we start by asking for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the different parts of your word. And we thank you that we can spend some time over the coming weeks uh, looking at the book of Ezra. Father, please would you help us as we consider what you're saying to the church today. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's a horrible feeling when you think you've been forgotten. You haven't got the invite that others have been talking about, or it's your birthday and you're still waiting to hear from a loved one, or a decision is made but you realise that you were never consulted, or you go through a period of time without hearing back from someone. It's really a, a terrible feeling, isn't it? When we think we've been forgotten. Uh, it makes us wonder whether there's more to it. I wonder if you've ever felt like God has forgotten you. Perhaps when he doesn't answer your prayers or when your life seems a little bit harder than others. When you just can't catch a break. Uh, I imagine that thought that might have gone through uh, the minds of God's people who we meet in the book of Ezra. They had been waiting on God for around 70 years, uh, a lifetime waiting for God to take them to their homeland in Jerusalem, as he had promised to do. Well, as we will see, uh, any fears of being forgotten are quickly dismissed as we come to chapter 1 and 2. 
of the book of Ezra. And Ezra is a book that is linked very closely to Nehemiah. They were considered uh, one book in ancient times. And it's a book that covers almost 100 years of Israel's history. And if you start reading Ezra, you'll soon, you'll soon realize that there's some stuff that's been happening in the background that it would be good to know about. Uh, there's a little bit of history this morning, uh, and I think it's, it's really good for us because it, it gives us a, a context, it gives us understanding, uh, and it's necessary to help us understand what God is doing. And so that's where we're going to begin our time this morning. The nation of Israel is in all sorts of disarray. It's a, a slowly sinking ship. And Milton spoke a, a little bit about it last week. The, the, the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes, but this internal conflict meant that they split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, uh, which was made up of 10 tribes and, and kept the name Israel. And then you had the southern kingdom, which was made up of the remaining two tribes and was known as Judah. And the northern kingdom, Israel, was taken into exile by the Assyrians in 722 BC, and they never recovered. But the southern kingdom, Judah, they, they lasted a little bit longer. And around 587 BC, they too were taken into exile. But Judah wasn't taken by the Assyrians, they were taken by the Babylonians, the superpower of the time. And if you really like, you could read about it in the book of Two Kings in chapter 25 at some stage. It makes for, uh, for some somber reading as the people of God gets what, get what's been coming to them for some time. They've ignored warning after warning from the prophets. So God uses Babylon to judge his people. They've gone against him. They've turned to worshipping idols. And as they're carried off into exile, the, the city of Jerusalem is burned to the ground. And the temple, which was the symbol of, of God's presence among his people, was completely destroyed. And the people of God have been in exile for a number of years when the book of Ezra begins. Now, 70 years, you can imagine, uh, over that kind of time, power might have changed hands. And it changes a lot quicker these days. What we find is that Babylon are no longer the great force they once were. A man named Cyrus the Great had formed the Persian Empire, and he overtook Babylon's capital city, which meant he was now ruling over God's people. So Israel are, are still in exile, but under a new ruler. Uh, that's the situation as we come to the start of the book of Ezra. The book can be broken up into to two broad parts. The first is uh, chapters 1 to 6, and it's about the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, these first six chapters span over about 80-odd years. Now, the second part is chapters 7 to 10, which tells us of the rebuilding of the community of God's people as Ezra teaches the law to Israel. Now, chapters 7 to 10 take place over just one year as the, the book slows right down. So why don't we uh, take a closer look at these first two chapters. And in verse 1, we learn that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia's reign, uh, he does something that the prophet Jeremiah had spoken of many years before. Now, there are two particular chapters in the book of Jeremiah which help us, uh, and I encourage you to have a look at those uh, when you get a chance. The first is chapter 25, and it speaks of the, the 70 years of exile that Israel will face in Babylon uh, at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And then in chapter 29, verse 10, Jeremiah says this, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you 
and fulfill my gracious promise to you to bring you back to this place. And in verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So through Jeremiah, God had promised his people in Judah that this exile wouldn't last forever, that he would bring them back to the city of Jerusalem, the very place where they were taken from. And so hold that promise in the, in the back of your minds as we go through these first chapters of Ezra. Now all of this talk of being in exile in a foreign land and, and being freed, it, it might be ringing some bells because it sounds a little bit like the exodus from Egypt, which we see earlier in the Old Testament. Uh, in some ways, we, we, what we see in Ezra is like a new exodus, God freeing his people once again. So this one, uh, and we see God keeping his word that he promised through the prophet Jeremiah. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. And it's quite a, a proclamation that Cyrus makes. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. It's an amazing declaration for a king who didn't follow God. You wonder if he really understands the, the magnitude of the words that he says. This is the kind of humility we'd love to see in, in all our leaders around the world. So all God's people were, were able to go and build the temple, and what's more, it was all going to be paid for uh, by the people living around them, the Babylonians. Uh, you see it there in verse 4. They were given silver, gold, goods and livestock, offerings. Uh, it's quite a remarkable decree that Cyrus makes. Now Proverbs 21.1 says this, A king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. And that's exactly what's happened with Cyrus. As he writes this decree for the people of God, God is the one who is directing him. And we like to think of our leaders as being good or evil, and sometimes we, we lack a little bit of nuance. But here we see God use a ruler who, who, whose practices we would often describe as evil for the purposes, he uses them for the purposes of his people. If anything, uh, it's a great reason for us to be praying for our leaders uh, and the leaders of the world, that God would use them for the purposes of his people. Now in verse 5, the, the heads of the two tribes of the southern kingdom, that, that's Judah and Benjamin, they get ready to go to Jerusalem to build the house of the Lord. And, and just as was decreed, the neighbors of God's people in exile give them all sorts of things to go towards the temple. But on top of that, the, the articles from the original temple, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken, uh, they are carried, uh, and he had carried them back to his temple. Uh, all of those articles are now returned to God's people by Cyrus, and all the treasury is, is counted and, and given to this guy with, with an impressive name, Sheshbazar, who, who was the prince of Judah at the time. Five thousand four hundred articles of gold and silver. Now even my maths is, is good enough uh, to work out that something doesn't quite add up with, with those numbers there. Uh, and it happens a, a couple of times in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. The total number of items or, or the people far exceeds the number of people in the inventory or, or, or the lists. And, and in verse 11, uh, people suggest only the most important items are listed, uh, which is a possibility. 
Only the most important things are there. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, some suggest the list is, is smaller because it doesn't include women and children. Uh, and again, that's a possibility. Uh, feel free to look into that more if you'd like. Uh, so there's 5,400 articles of, of gold and silver, which Shesh Bazaar brings along with him. Now, isn't it, isn't it just a remarkable thing that's taken place? It's got to be one of the most incredible turn of events in, in history. And yet, it's, it's not outrageous when we know the God who is behind it. As we get to chapter 2, uh, if chapter 1 was all about God moving hearts, then chapter 2 is about the people's response. It's a chapter, that, uh, a chapter that's often skipped. Shame on me for not making Miriam read it. Uh, 70 verses, almost completely dedicated to naming people who returned from exile. Was it necessary to, to name all these people? Couldn't it have just been summarized? Uh, I think uh, verses 64 and 66 do a pretty good job of that when it tells us uh, some of the total numbers. And I think the reason the names are here is because each of these people are important. There are a number of individual names and, and descendants, but they make up the collection of God's people. Each grouping is important. Each person is important. Now if we fast forward to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21, uh, we read of, uh, of those who will be in heaven whose names will be written in the book of life. And I take it these people's names will be there. They are important. Each of God's people is important to him. And perhaps that's one reason why we get these long lists like this. <coughs> now, is that the kind of importance we give to each of God's people today? Each of God's people who he's placed in our lives. It's important to remember that as we minister to one another, we are ministering to people whose names will be in this book of life. It's not just people making up the numbers, uh, as we're tempted to think when we look at a passage like this. It's easy to view people as just another number or to be driven by numbers and, and forget the individuals who make it up. That's not the, the way God views us and, and not the way we should view each other. Each person here is a testament to God's grace. Now, it's not just the size of the lists uh, of names that stands out. Another aspect to their response is there in verses 59 to 63. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, notice there were, there were some people who came from Jerusalem but were unable to prove that they were Israelites. It's in verses 59 to 63. There were no matches on Ancestry.com. And others couldn't prove that they were from the priesthood. And that meant they were excluded from eating the food that was reserved for the priests. Now, I think the Israelites are, are rightly cautious here. If it says it on Ancestry.com, uh, I, think, I think they're right because they're cautious uh, so that they don't go against God's law. You have to, you have, to have the, the right heritage. That's what... That's what Used to be, that's what it used to be like. You had to be from the right line. But praise God that it no longer matters who we've descended from. For you and I, it doesn't matter who our ancestors were or, or weren't. We simply need faith in Christ to be included in God's people. Isn't that wonderful news for us? Well, the final thing that stands out in 
the response there is in verses 68 to 69. Notice the heads of the families giving these free will offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God. God has already provided all they need, but their response to his faithfulness is to give sacrificially in verse 69. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the, the widow in Mark's gospel who, who gave two copper coins into the temple treasury. And Jesus said of her, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than, any, than all others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything in, all she had to live on. The, the leaders uh, give generously according to their ability, even though the people of Babylon have, are already uh, paying for, for everything in this rebuild. Now we see sacrificial giving and living through Scripture. Now we see it so clearly uh, as the Son of God gives up his life for us. And as we receive the benefit of that, it's worth considering how sacrificial we are in response to what God has done for us. With our time, with our money, with our lives. Are we those who, who live sacrificially for God's kingdom? Not seeking anything in return, but in response to God's faithfulness. Now you'll know the answer to that in your own life. Uh, I won't say any more on that, but it's something you can, you can think about because it's a clear challenge from the passage. So that's the, the two opening chapters of Ezra. Now, now what might God be showing his people and, and showing us uh, through it? One of the main things that stands out in these two chapters is that God doesn't forget his people. He, he remembers them. Seventy years, that, that's a whole lifetime. Our, our God is the great shepherd who knows the sheep, the one who remembers even the prodigal, the one who leaves the 99 to find the lost one. The God who remembers his people and his promises to them. And we might feel like God has forgotten us at times. Things that happen in life might lead us to thinking like that. Ezra 1 and 2 is a great reminder that we follow a God who does remember his people. Another thing we see is a desire in the people of God to dwell with him once more. That's, what's going, uh, that's what going to Jerusalem and, and rebuilding the temple symbolized. Now if you fast forward 530 odd years and it's not the the people going to dwell with God but God coming to dwell among his people John 1 14 uh, referring to Jesus says the word became flesh and dwelt among us Jesus of course has returned to heaven but through the Holy Spirit God continues to dwell among his people he came to us and, and that's another reason we can be confident that he remembers us now we've looked at some of the, the closer details in the passage, the, the final thing I want us to do is to zoom out again. I mentioned chapters 1 to 6 are about the rebuilding of the temple and, and chapters 7 to 10 are about the rebuilding of the community of God's people. There's actually another way you can look at it. Uh, chapters 1 to 6 are more about external renewal. Chapters 7 to 10 are more about internal renewal. Uh, and sometimes in the Christian life, God will do an external work in our lives in order to begin the necessary internal renewal in our hearts. Sometimes God will change our external circumstances. He'll change our situations in life to do the necessary work of changing our hearts. He might close doors. He might open doors. 
Uh, We need to be open to his guidance, particularly if our external situation is is impacting our relationship with him. Are there situations in your life that you need to change? Things that are stopping your relationship with God from growing? What changes might God be helping you to make externally in order for him to work in your heart to make you more and more Christ-like? God moves our hearts. Uh, It's important we follow his guidance when he does. So that's Ezra 1 and 2. The God who remembers his people, may we be those who respond rightly to him. Amen.